0: So good to be bringing God's Word to you today. Um, If you don't know me, as Richard said, my name's Matt, and I'm one of the leaders here at All Nations. And we're continuing our series today looking at revival culture and what that looks like. And today we're looking at the subject of holiness in revival culture. Now, I'm very aware that as we start talking about holiness, um, as we start talking about purity, then there's a real opportunity for the enemy to get in and to start making us feel guilty and condemned. And that is not what God wants for us. God wants to shine a light on his holiness. He wants to shine a light on his purity to set us free from that guilt and to set us free from that shame. So before we start, I'm just going to pray. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that as we've been singing today, You have paid the price for our sin. And we don't live in guilt. We don't live in shame. As we put our trust in you, you just wash all those things away. So Lord, I pray that today, through the Bible passages that we're looking at, you would set us free from guilt. You would set us free from shame. And you'd help us to step into everything that you've got for us, as individuals and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. God's holiness is a constant theme throughout the Bible. From Genesis all the way through to the last book of the Bible, to Revelation, the Bible tells us that God is holy. And like a lot of really good words in our culture today, you don't necessarily hear the word holy in the right context. You're more likely to hear it being used almost as a dig or an insult or a joke today. And even in the church, lots of us have lost touch with what this word really means. It's such an important part of the character of God that we're going to spend some time looking at it today because it's something that He expects from us too. In Leviticus 19, verses 1 to 2. It says, the Lord also said to Moses, say this to the entire community of Israel. So this must be important. You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So note, this isn't something just for the superstars. This isn't just something for Moses and maybe one or two others. This is something for the whole community of Israel to understand and to step into. You must be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. I thought it'd be good for us to think about what holiness is, so I need a couple of volunteers. Oh dear, I'm gonna have to pick somebody. Hey, thank you, Phil. Right. um, as a reward, you can be God. Well not actually God, (laughs) but I made it. I'm gonna put you over here, Phil. (laughs) You're representing God for and Dave. Thank you, Dave. He knew what was coming next. (laughs) So, Dave, I'm going to put you all the way over here. Back up to the doors. That's it. Right. Okay. Now, I wanted to illustrate what holiness is, and I thought this might be a good way. I was going to do it on the screen, but I thought the screen maybe isn't wide enough. Actually, the room isn't wide enough to illustrate this. But holiness is a complete separation from sin. David, hold your card up, please. Thank you. (laughs) A complete separation from sin and its total devotion to seeking God's honour. So holiness is actually a relational thing. Holiness is staying away from sin and seeking God's honour. Because the thing is, the reason why I've got these two guys so far apart is that God cannot have anything to do with sin. God is holy, so he cannot even look upon sin. Any hint of selfishness, thank you, Phil, any hint of greed, any hint of malice or immorality is sin. And because we have all said, thought or done things, which fall into that category of sin, it means that we cannot get close to God. He cannot have anything to do with us because he's holy. That means it's impossible for us to have a relationship with him. And the good news is that Jesus stepped into that impossible situation because as a sinful human, I cannot get from here over to here. It's almost as though there's a bungee cord tying me to David. And every time I try, I just cannot get anywhere near to God. But Jesus, because he sacrificed himself from on the cross as a perfect and pure sacrifice, snapped that bungee cord. So it's possible for us, for sinful men and women who've all thought, said, and done things that are wrong, to get close to God to be with him for all eternity. We sang actually a paraphrase of John 3:16 this morning which says for God so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't die but will have eternal life. Guys you can sit down thank you. I won't make you stand there for the whole whole preach. Let's give him a hand, shall we? Thank you. You can keep that. That's yours. Yeah. You can keep that. That's a souvenir. So when we put our trust in Jesus, he clothes us with that amazing righteousness, which means our sin is dealt with. When God looks at us, our sin is completely gone. And we are perfect, and we are holy, and we are pure. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, that means we can live up to God's command in Leviticus 19. It means we can be holy because of what Jesus has done. Isn't that amazing? But hang on you might think. If we're cleansed from our sin because of God's grace that we were seeing about earlier and Jesus' sacrifice, doesn't that mean because we're holy and God looks at us and sees holiness and we can have a relationship with him that it doesn't matter how we live? Sometimes we can focus so much on God's amazing grace that we forget all about the instruction to live a holy life. And actually, there's something intention to be held here. Sometimes we can fool ourselves, especially in our Christian context, that because of God's grace, our sins don't really matter. We can fool ourselves into thinking that we don't need to put any effort into living a holy life. And we can slip into things that we know God doesn't like because we get complacent about our sins and about relying on his forgiveness. That means we can think it doesn't matter if we maybe bend the truth a little bit or claim too much on our expenses or go looking for explicit images or sleep around. In fact, the, the truth is doesn't the Bible say that the more we sin, the more God's grace is revealed? So, how can sin be bad? Now, this isn't a new question. And people accuse the Apostle Paul of preaching just this. And this is what Paul said in reply. We're going to read from Romans 6. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Hopefully you can read those words on the screen. Sin's power is broken. Well then, here's the question. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this, because Christ was raised from the dead. And he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Amen. What an amazing, powerful passage that is. When we put our trust in Jesus, that he died for us, what that passage says is that we're forgiven by God. Our old life is dead and we can have a relationship with him. We're set free from the control of sin in our lives. But because we still live in a world that is broken, that is tainted by sin, we still have the ability to hold on to those bad patterns that can affect us. Those things that hurt our relationship with God. Because the bottom line is, whether we realise it or not... When we hold on to things that we know God doesn't like, we're actually saying those things are more important than him, aren't we? Now, we might be able to fool ourselves into thinking that those things don't matter. We might be able to fool other people into thinking that going against God's best for us won't do any harm, but it will. Because the enemy wants us to believe that sin doesn't matter. And the reason for that is, sin reduces our effectiveness for God. We're called to be different from the world around us. And by being different, we bring glory to God. And if we compromise, and if we keep going back to those old habits that God really doesn't like, we're not giving ourselves completely to God, are we? And if we're not giving ourselves completely to God, it means that we are not fully available for him to work through us. Now, of course, in his grace... And in his mercy, he can work, through, work in us, really, no matter what state we're in. But don't you want to be fully available to God so that he can speak to you? So that he can use you to guide his church? So that he can use you to reach the lost, to heal the sick, to set the captives free? I want to be fully available to God so that he can do those things through me. And if we compromise and keep going back to those old habits, it compromises our ability to bring glory to him. And that's exactly what Paul was saying in verse 13, when he said, don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument for evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. This passage is saying don't give in to sin because not only are you cheating yourself of the new life that is yours in Jesus, you're actually robbing God of the glory that is rightfully his. So in other words, sin is a revival killer. It stops us from living the life God has called us live and it robs him of his glory. So should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Now I've got three boys, they're a Remembrance Day service elsewhere today, but when our eldest was moving from a cot into a bed we noticed something really interesting. When he was a cot, he was effectively our prisoner. When we put him in there, last thing at night, he could not get out. He couldn't get out until we came in to get him the next morning, or if we caved during the night and went to get him, if he was screaming. So what we noticed was, first thing in the morning, he would have to shout, Mom! Dad! Morning! Sometimes he'd have to shout quite loudly, as you can imagine. And we would go and get him. When we moved him into a bed, the interesting thing we noticed was even though he was free, he was free to step out of that bed and embrace the day. He still thought he was a prisoner. Because that first morning, he shouted, Mom, Dad, morning. And we had to go and get him. Now don't get me wrong, he's not stupid. But he was programmed into thinking a certain way. He was programmed into being a prisoner and behaving like a prisoner. He was free to step out of bed, but he was acting as though he wasn't. Now, because we still live under the influence of sin in this world, stepping into the freedom and into the power that Jesus gives us is actually a constant battle. But this passage in Romans tells us that because of Jesus' once and for all sacrifice, it's a battle in a war that has already been won. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Our old habits, our old lives, died with Christ. Christ. So we can step into freedom. And just like my eldest boy in that bed, it's up to us to step into that freedom which is there for us. Sin controls the way we live. Whether we realize it or not, our desire to satisfy our old sinful nature dictates a lot of our behavior. That's why Paul says our old sinful selves were slaves to sin. And as with our illustration earlier, there was nothing we could do To free ourselves from that control. But ever since Jesus snipped that bungee cord, we don't need to give in to the compulsion to feed our sinful desires. And that actually, that analogy of feeding is a really good one. Because if we feed those things that we crave, which we know God doesn't like, what's going to happen to them? They'll get stronger, they'll get bigger. The only alternative to feeding our sinful cravings is a change of diet. So we're going to read Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 20. And again, this is from the New Living Translation. Living in the light. So this is the antidote. This is the alternative diet to feeding our sinful cravings. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity or greed among you. Such place, such sins have no place amongst God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk and coarse jokes, they're not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God for a greedy person is an idolater worshipping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord, Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That's why it's said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This passage is a call To purity. It's a call to holiness. It's a call to put our old way of life behind us and to fully embrace, fully step in to the new. It's a call to show by the way that we live that we belong to Jesus. So, the antidote to fooling ourselves that we can behave sinfully whilst also confessing Jesus as our Lord, almost ping ponging between the two extremes that we saw earlier is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul contrasts being drunk on wine with being filled with the Spirit. And that's a great contrast between a life of thoughtless excess, short-term pleasure, self-destruction, between that and a life of lasting satisfaction in an amazing, meaningful relationship with our Father God. Now, that contrast works with any short-term pleasure that dulls the senses, and makes us lose focus on what is actually important. For different ones of us, that might be excessive alcohol, drugs, inappropriate relationships, greediness, laziness. Whatever that is for each of us, Paul is contrasting it with being filled with the Spirit and with that lasting satisfaction. Because as we shift our priorities from feeding our sinful nature to satisfying our spiritual need for that relationship with God, it's only then that we can start living truly for him. And it's only by being filled with his spirit that we're able to do that. Now, I've got a little illustration. Um, I've got some things tucked away here. Phil, would you mind giving me a hand with this, please? If you grab that side and just go to the front, yeah, that's it, to you, to me, to you, to me. right, let's put that there. And I need another volunteer, someone with steady hands. You're used to dealing with spills. Right. So, Lewis, this is a flask, as you can tell. And this flask represents a Christian, somebody who's put their trust in Jesus and has been released from the power of sin in their lives. So, as we were saying earlier, that bungee cord has been snapped. But you can see there's still sinful behavior in there because each of us grapples with sinful behavior, as we said earlier. And this sin sort of swirls around. Sometimes it comes out and makes a a terrible mess. And actually, it's really difficult to deal with that. What this water represents is the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to do, Lewis, is put this funnel in, and I want you to tip that into the funnel, just so it trickles down the side and doesn't mix it up too much, otherwise the illustration is shot to pieces. (laughs) Oh, perfect, yeah. You've done this before, haven't you? Yeah. See that? Okay, probably get a bit quicker now. What's the worst that could happen, eh? I don't think it's going to get any in the electrics. Oh, okay. Right, so let's keep going and just chuck it all in now. Yeah, you are, you're doing a good job. Okay, here we go. So, what can we see has happened? The Holy Spirit filling this person has caused all that rubbish to come to the top, has not it? Now back here, your job's not over yet, Lewis. Because the Spirit doesn't just want to fill us a little bit. The Spirit wants to keep on filling us. I should have really got a much bigger beaker. Because the Holy Spirit is limitless. There you go. You pull that in, and we'll see what happens, shall we? So before long, all of that grot starts to come out. The Holy Spirit is pushing it out because God can't have anything to do with that sinful behaviour, if we humbly bring it to him, then before long, okay, you can stop there, before long, what comes out isn't the nasty oil and the nasty sinful behaviour, it's actually his spirit. It's the fruits of his spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. There you go, see that? If I did that a few more times you would see that eventually we'd have very little oil in there. As the Spirit pours out of our lives. Thank you, Lewis. Let's give him a hand. (laughs) Do you need paper? Good man, see, he's a professional. (laughs) So, when that happens, when we start essentially bleeding out the Holy Spirit everyone can see the transformation in our lives, can't they? Everyone can see that we're living fully for him. And what's the result of that? God gets the glory. Absolutely. God gets the glory. And that is holiness. Now, like all illustrations, this is not perfect. And actually, in my growth group, Leaders Notes, I've asked you to pick the illustration apart a little bit and say, where does it work? and Where does it really fall down a little bit. I'll give you a bit of help with that. I don't want you to get the impression that God can't use you if you're struggling with sinful behaviors, because if that were the case, he wouldn't be able to use any of us. This is all about being intentionally on a journey with Jesus. It's about being filled with his spirit constantly, day by day. It's about allowing him to deal with the sin that can so easily stop us from being effective for him. It's about being ruthless with sin. And when we realize that we've made a mistake, because let me tell you, sin can very easily drop back in here. When we realize we've made a mistake, asking forgiveness, moving on, dealing with it. Often it helps to make ourselves accountable to someone that we trust, asking them to pray for us. And as we said earlier, remember, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This is all for our good. God is bringing these sinful behaviours to the surface so that he can deal with them, not so that we can feel bad about them. Now, of course, until Jesus returns or we go to be with him, we're still living in a sinful world. And actually, the more we live for Jesus, the more we'll be under fire. And probably the greater the temptation there would be to let more oil back into that flask. But the point is, if we're ruthless with sin, it isn't flowing back into that flask for long. It gets dealt with. And if we constantly ask to be filled with his Holy Spirit, if we humbly submit to him, the result is a holy life. The result is a courageous, a pioneering, a rejoicing, a welcoming and generous life. The result will be that not only will our individual lives be transformed, but God's church will be transformed and will be all that we're intended to be as a family. The result is that when people come into contact with us, they will not fail to see the goodness and the power of God flowing out from us. And because of that, they'll be saved And because of that, more glory will be given to God. So what's this got to do with revival? This is revival. When we take our own personal holiness seriously, we can be so much more effective for God. He can use us more because he's our priority rather than letting all the rubbish fester away in our lives. And when as individuals we take our own personal holiness seriously, and I hope you know I'm talking to myself as much as I am to anybody else here today, there'll be no stopping God's church. And that is revival. Amen? Can I ask you to stand if you're able, and can I ask the band to step to the front? As we look at the revival culture banner here today, I think I've actually touched on the first three, probably. Dealing with any unconfessed sin, forgiving any grievance we have against one another, getting rid of doubtful habits, and obeying the prompting of the Holy Spirit immediately. So as and when he brings something to the surface, allowing him to deal with it, allowing him to remove it from our lives. So we're just going to take some time to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us again. And it might help you to consider the illustration of the flask. You can see now, actually, there's very little oil left in there. Wouldn't take long to completely get rid of all that. And that's exactly what God wants to do with us today as individuals and as his church. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then as we sing the next song... I'd like to invite you to come to the front if you identify with the need to live a holier life. And I'll give you a spoiler, I'm probably going to be the first down here. Because if you're a Christian, I think that's probably all of us. We need to stand together because we are living in a sin sick world, we are living in a fallen world, and we need to constantly be encouraging one another. We need to take the call to holiness seriously so that the church can be all she's intended to be. We need to take the call of the Holy Spirit seriously so that we can live out this passage here from Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has made us holy so that we can proclaim freedom for the prisoners. He has made us holy so that we can proclaim recovery of sight for the blind he has set us free so that we can set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the lord's favor let's pray oh father god we thank you that you love us so much we thank you that by your grace you sent your son jesus to die for us to sever the bond between us and sin, so that we can take a single step to you and so that you could come running to us. And Lord, you know the things that I struggle with. You know the things that I keep going back to that stop me from being all I can in you. You know that for each of us, Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here today, Lord, I pray that you would fill each of us with your wonderful Holy Spirit afresh today. Lord, I pray you would bring to the surface those things that you need to deal with. That you want us to release and stop burying. That you want to flush out and that you want to replace with the glorious flow of your Spirit. Lord, bring those things to mind, I pray. May we lay them at your feet. So that as a church, we will step into that prophecy of revival. Of being all that you've called us to be, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, Lord, have your way in us, we pray. We want to live for you. We don't want to mess around with things that we know you don't like. We want to step into that freedom that you've already won for us, Lord. And Father God, I pray for each of us that those areas where we're struggling, would just be flushed out in Jesus' name by the power of your Spirit. Lord, make us accountable to each other, I pray. Pray we'd rise as the family that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.